Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my uh, co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. This week, we're going to do something fun. Uh, this is going to be very different for us. Uh, also, it's also a little bit of uh, Back to the Future. The Premier League is back, as, as we all know. And we want to dive into that. So we will still talk about the soccer media business um, in terms of any news or any uh, questions from you, the listeners. But we also want to get to the heart of the game, which is what we're going to be moving towards more and more, Uh, as well as this week, too. We're going to have some preview podcasts, previewing the new seasons of La Liga and Serie A with some uh, top commentators. So uh, hang tight for that. That'll be out this week. So Kartik, EPL review show. Uh, It's this is kind of a a flashback. Let's start off. Actually, let's ask you a question first. This is a question I thought thought about, and listeners, you can play along with this too. If we were to jump in a plane right now, Kartik, and fly to Europe uh, to watch a game uh, at a specific stadium, um, what would it be? I mean, what stadium would you want to go to to watch whatever team it may be in Europe? If you could jump on a plane and go right now. I think it might be Nottingham Forest for that first home match, uh, which you're going to have back in the Prem next Sunday against West Ham. Nice. Yeah, it's City Grounds. Uh, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Just as we got excited a couple of years ago when Leeds United got into the Premier League, that one would be a fantastic trip. For, for me, I I had more time to think about this because I had the question in mind. I'm, I'm kind of uh, torn between, I want to go to the new White Hart Lane. I've been to the old White Hart Lane, but the new one, I want to go there just to see what that experience is like because on TV, it's hard to take it in because the, the stands, the stadium is so large. Uh, I mean, I want to be inside there to see what it feels like, but also I want to go back to Goodison and I want to go back to Goodison and say my goodbyes to it before they move to the uh, Bramley Ward Dock Stadium uh, right by the uh, the River Mersey. Uh, and Goodison's uh, you mean a, a ground that's near and dear to my heart, as is Craven Cottage, as is m- many other grounds around England. But uh, but I'm also, also really excited about going to see the, the new White Hart Lane and to see the, the new Tottenham Hotspur. Kartik, uh, maybe we'll start there. Like, What was your thoughts about that, that match? Um, at first, it looked like Southampton might uh, cause a shock result in this one. Yeah, Southampton has a very, very young team. Uh, Hassan Hotel has also changed the setup this season. They're going uh, effectively uh, uh, with what would be what we would think of as a three-five-two with um, a very young player in Lavia, who they bought from Manchester City, 18-year-old Phenom, uh, kind of sitting in the middle of the pitch, and he had a pretty good game. So I I think uh, also they didn't have Che Adams for this match, Livermento they didn't have. So I think you're looking at um, a team that is going to put up some bad performances. Uh, And this is a side that's lost 9-0, right, a couple times in the last few seasons and stayed up each of those seasons. Uh, Exceedingly young team, but but Spurs were clinical. Spurs were very good. 
uh, Chris, I, I, I tipped it. I, 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 you know, sometimes I'm dead wrong. But Friday night, I had a fit of inspiration and tweeted it around 8 p.m. Eastern time. I think Ryan Sessegnon, who has been a disappointment, right? He was a he was a hyped at 16 and 17, right? Uh, years old. He's going to have a breakout year, in my opinion, because of Antonio Conte working with him. Uh, he's going to come good now at the age of 22. The next day, uh, next morning, he scores a goal, or next afternoon, UK time, scores a goal and then has another one disallowed for um, a fractional offside. So uh, sometimes uh, I get it right on Twitter. Yeah, I, th- I think for Southampton, it's one of those things that uh, they're not expected to win against the Tottenham Hotspurs of the world, but the matches that will decide their fate, if they do stay up this season or not, or if they finish mid-table, uh, are going to be those games against you mean, Fulham, Forest. Bournemouth, Brighton, etc., etc. Those, those clubs that are going to be those matches that we may not pay as much attention to because there might be another big match happening or bigger match happening at the same time. But those are the games where they need to get those uh, three points or get a draw and, and kind of claw their way through the season. And, and another thing about this match, I want to say is that this shows what bringing summer reinforcements will do for the guys who are already at the club. So. Uh, so Richarlison comes in, the obvious player he would replace once he's out, uh, once he's not no longer suspended, suspended is Kulosevsky, right? Um, uh, uh, Basuma comes in, the obvious player he would replace is Betancur. Uh, Perisic comes in, the obvious player he would replace is Sessegnon. All three of those guys had uh, probably eight out of tens, if not nine out of tens, yesterday. So uh, it shows Antonio Conte also knows what he's doing, bringing in summer signings will put pressure on your current squad to perform even better. Yeah, that doesn't always happen, though, at some clubs, though, Kartik. Uh, I mean, Manchester United, I'm, I'm sure, are going to be t- talked about on every single podcast uh, this week, and there's going to be in-depth analysis about uh, this side. But my thoughts about that game were that I thought that, uh, yet again, NBC Sports didn't really kind of dive deep into the Brighton story. And, and actually, it was funny, too, because I think it was either halftime or post-match. Rebecca Lowe cued it to Tim Howard and said, hey, what about that Brighton performance? And Tim Howard started talking about Man- Manchester, Manchester United and all the problems with Manchester United. Uh, obviously, Tim Howard, a former Manchester United player. Um, but I, I think in many ways that uh, Brighton, to me, one of the, the, the success stories of the weekend. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think uh, Graham Potter did something really interestingly, uh, interesting tactically, and we know how good he is, right? He, he's one of the geniuses in English football now, and he put uh, in in uh, Trossard and. Uh, and, and Solly Marsh, two guys you would not expect to see in wingback positions. In fact, when I got the, the lineup this morning uh, uh, before the match, I thought, this is wrong, right? These guys are in the wrong position. Gosh, you know, the app I'm using doesn't even know Brighton very well. How could they put these guys on? The, and Lalana was playing in kind of this, uh, this, 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 this sort of um, withdrawn central midfield role. It looked really weird. Well, it was a specific tactic to negate Manchester United's uh, inability to play uh, quick passes from central midfield, from McTominay and Fred specifically, and the fact that they weren't playing with a striker. So you could put the, the fullbacks, Trossard and March, both of whom are guys who can score goals, and we saw it, obviously. Uh, we've seen it in the past. Uh, push them up. And then you also have Lalana kind of sitting on top of Fred. Lalana is one of the smartest, most technical English players, in my opinion, of the last 10 years. It's injuries that have done him in. Um, really kind of dictating uh, what h- how Fred moves the ball. So Fred's not able to move the ball normally, which means Erickson has to drop deeper, and then the whole uh, United attack is, is, is disrupted at that point. Now, when Ronaldo came in, things kind of changed, but Potter got it absolutely right. They should have been, uh, there should have been a penalty also, so they should have been three goals to the good at, the point, at that point. And Chris, once again, you and I both say to one another privately, Brighton is as good to watch as any team in Europe. And that's, that's kind of the pity of NBC. Give Rebecca a little credit. She, um, she tried to push, push that, but, but Howard, as you said, didn't answer it. They have one of the most entertaining, interesting sides for me um, on the planet right now, and they're not taking advantage of it. Uh, and same thing can be said for Sky. Sky's not promoting Brighton, um, but what a job Grant Potter's doing. 
Yeah, and, and we talked about that last last year, last season, quite a bit too, in terms of Brighton and just uh, what an incredible job was happening at that in, at, at that club in terms of the way the team was playing, just the process, and it was a, a club that flew under the radar quite a bit. Um, I mean, they would they'd win at Old Trafford or they'd get a shock result or a shock tie. Uh, and then be minimal credit, and then the the tide changed, the, the new cycle changes to Manchester United or, or Chelsea or whoever it may be. It's interesting too that you mentioned that too, Kartik, in terms of uh, the focus on Brighton. And and I don't know, I, I don't want to beat up too much on NBC Sports. It is the first weekend of a new season. Um, I think they're a little bit rough. It's going to take some time to get going. But there w- there was an interview last week with one of their executives that was in uh, Sports Business Journal. And he was talking about how great NBC Sports are doing and with its renewal and how excited they are. But he did have one quote that did stand out for, uh, to me. And he says, uh, we focus on all 20 clubs. We don't just focus on the big six. In order to be true to the league, you have to give all 20 teams attention and coverage. What's your thoughts on that, Kartik? Well, I completely agree with that. I I think that that would be great if that were what they were doing. Yeah, they mentioned all 20 teams. But again, I don't think there was enough, uh, even pregame yesterday uh, morning, there was not enough conversation about Fulham. Now, granted, um, I think a lot of you who listen to this know I I watch the championship pretty closely. I'm on TalkSport twice a week talking about the championship. So, yes, I saw a lot of Fulham last season, a lot more than... Uh, Robbie Musto or Tim Howard had seen. So in fairness, that that I have to concede that. But there wasn't any. There seemed to be some genuine shock at halftime of that match of how Fulham was playing. That's exactly how they played last season. So it wasn't like Pot- Potter sprung a surprise tactically. Uh, that's different, right? And they and obviously the pundits have seen Brighton. They've been in the Premier League now for five years. This is uh, Grand Potter's fourth season. But um, uh, Fulham, that's exactly how they played last season. Um, in that first half. Um, now, obviously, Liverpool didn't play uh, the way we expected. But, yeah, so I think that there, is, there, there are only storylines when managers get sacked at those clubs or there's some sort of transfer speculation, right? So I think NBC needs to do better because those clubs are picking up fans as time goes on with the Premier League. And that's partly a credit to NBC, right? It's because NBC's done such a good job showcasing the league in the United States. Those clubs are picking up fans here in the States. But um, it's still the coverage is really disproportionate. And uh, even today, uh, Man City, West Ham, West Ham is is. Uh, has been the last two seasons, well, actually, Leicester was a couple of seasons ago, but has been among the two best clubs the last few years outside of the top six, right? Outside of that big six. And um, really no discussion of what was wrong with West Ham today. And, and there were a lot of things that were different about West Ham and their execution today, but they didn't talk about it very much. I think part of this, though, too, and, and this evolves, I mean, this kind of fits in with our discussion of, of soccer and, and the heart of the game and what we see on the pitch. But oftentimes what we see on the pitch is through the lens of whether it's the commentators or the analysts or, or the studio presenters uh, or, or what we read or what we listen to, if it's listening to you, Kartik, and, and your thoughts. Um, and I think in many ways, too, that what NBC Sports is doing is doing a really kind of rose-tinted uh, glasses view of the Premier League. Uh, even Sunday morning, too, when they had uh, David Ornstein on to talk about uh, the, the Premier League insider to talk about topics. It was about talking about how great Arsenal is and what a great start of the season, what a wonderful um, transfer window they've had. Uh, and then and then talking about Manchester City and signing Erling Haaland and would City be uh, buying some more players in, in this transfer window. So it is very positive. It is very rosy. It is very um, energetic. And it is very much not getting to the grit, like the, really kind of what's happening. And I think in a way, though, too, Kartik, I mean, because they, they are now, they've got six more years of this. I don't see it changing much. I think it's still going to be, hey, this, this put this in a positive light. And, and, and we don't want it to be in a negative light. We just want it to be a little bit more fa- fair and balanced and, and, and better. And uh, broader. 
And, and broader, yeah. And that goes back to that quote that from the NBC sports executive. In theory, that makes total sense. And that's what they said in 2013 when they first launched with uh, the Premier League, is that they were going to do a deep dive into all, all the teams. And they did at that time. I think they did a much better job, uh, more of an effort then. Now it's more about talking about the big teams, about the Manchester Uniteds, the Christian Pulisic, the, you mean, so on and so forth. It's, it's really kind of the big four, the big six. And they talk about the others, but they pretty much have to because you mean those big big teams are playing those uh, you know, those other uh, other fourteen. Yeah, and and like this morning with Ornstein, I, I felt like okay, Bournemouth is making some moves this week. Um, now I, I have to uh, concede I'm in a more. Uh, educated position, I guess that would be the term that I was six months ago or a year ago. I've renewed some of my old contacts when I used to report and break stories in the UK. So I have more of a, a sense of what's going on in the transfer market this go-around, Chris, than I have maybe for the last six, five, six, seven years uh, since I stopped reporting on that stuff. And uh, Everton is making some moves. They've got a couple guys. Uh, they, they probably will bring in in the next few days. Uh, from what I'm gathering, Bournemouth have a few that they're going to bring in the next few days. Uh, and and, and uh, several other clubs, too. There's, there's a lot going on, a lot going on with Leicester. So, um, again, I like having Ornstein, and he's reporting on the whole league for the Athletic, but the focus on NBC seems to be what's City doing, what's United doing, what's Arsenal doing, how about Chelsea, right? Not, not the other 14 teams. Yeah, and it was also on the same morning, too, where there were protests out, outside Old Trafford, and that, that would have been something that uh, the previous Premier League insider reporter probably would have had is uh, maybe more more insight or more discussion about those types of things. Um, and Ornstein didn't, didn't even mention it, but NBC Sports did mention it later. Speaking of Manchester United, Kartik, my thoughts on this one, too, is that... Um, which is sad news and bad news for Man United supporters. But I, I, I'm envisioning that this is going to be a long decline. It's going to be a, take a long time to go ahead and do a complete upheaval on the squad uh, in terms of taking the players out, coming, coming up with a pro- process and a system to play, bringing new players in, improving the, the, the youth academy, etc., and this could be, it, it could be a, over a decade before we see Manchester United winning a, a title trophy. I think they're that far behind Liverpool and Man City and at risk right now in terms of even Tottenham and Arsenal going, going above them. Oh, Arsenal's way ahead of them. Uh, Arsenal has built, done the rebuild right. So, so Man United is where Arsenal was when Wenger left, basically. Or, or maybe a year before Wenger left. So how many years has that been now? Like five years? So they're five years behind Arsenal. So what about some of these other matches uh, from this past weekend? Leeds United? And, and, and Kartik, you watched all of the games. You, we went yeah. through afterwards, uh, even the, for the games you missed live, you went back and watched them all. What about Leeds United? Um, I didn't get a chance to watch that one as closely. Um, I saw the goals, but but what, what was your take in terms of that match? Because it sounded like it was a really, really fast-paced uh, and energetic match. Yeah, and a lot of mistakes at the back for Wolves. I, I'm concerned about Wolves because they're, they're, once again, not very deep. Uh, they seem ready to let Connor Cody go to Everton. And um, they were not... They didn't use substitutes wisely. So I think the way this match changed um, was not only pressure uh, on on the back four of Wolves from, from uh, Leeds and the high pressing that Jesse Marsh is known for, but Marsh's substitutions, which uh, uh, brought uh, – uh, Klitsch uh, and, and Greenwood on, right? And and uh, takes Rodrigo off, who scored the goal, but adds a different element there, there in that midfield with Klitsch. And um, Mark Rocco, who I thought had a good debut, obviously a player um, Marsh is familiar with uh, from Germany, uh, having having played against him, he uh, he had a, he had a good impact, but then that, that kind of changed the midfield. So I, I liked what uh, what Marsh did. I, I, it was a great debut for for two American players, Tyler Adams and, and Brendan Aronson. Aronson, in particular, uh, had an impact in that uh, in that goal, right? The, the winning goal, the own goal uh, by Alton Murray. But uh, yeah, good start for Leeds. I, I still am concerned about Leeds uh, long term. Still concerned about Wolves, but Leeds uh, looking at one or two more guys apparently maybe to come in this week. So, uh, I, Chris, this is going to be crazy because the transfer window is open uh, for another another twenty uh, something days, and and uh, uh, at least and maybe again it's because I've renewed some old contacts. I'm hearing the sort of things that see that makes me think that there's going to be huge squad upheaval uh, <laughs> before uh, we get to match days five or six for some of these squads it's, it's pretty crazy 
yeah I, I, I actually for me i i hate it because i want i want you know, as, when the season starts i want the teams kind of in place so that i can look at them and analyze them as they go through rather than having a team that could have i mean four or five new players uh a few weeks into the season it's uh it makes it harder to analyze i mean it should be exciting transfer window but uh yeah i think there's gonna be a lot of activity uh of, of course at the last minute too i think a lot of players being offloaded um so looking at some of these games from this past weekend, Kartik, uh, was there any team performance that stood out for you that we haven't mentioned yet that you feel that uh, should be mentioned? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think uh, Fulham's performance uh, at the cottage really stood out for me. Uh, speaking of Americans, Anthony Robinson really gave Trent Alexander-Arnold all he could handle. Good omen for the U.S. Uh, heading into a World Cup. And Timmy Ream, a player I love, a player I still believe should be in the U.S. team for the leadership he brings. He is wearing the armband for Fulham, uh, even if he's not being called into the U.S. team. Uh, he is Fulham's captain, and, and he, ha- he had a tremendous match. And I think Fulham, as a team performance, was really good. I have told people all summer long, and, I, and, and admittedly, I could have been dead wrong and I still could be dead wrong I've told people all summer long do not look at Mitrovic's stats the last two times Fulham came up because Marco Silva now has a system built around him Marco Silva now has a system which is utilizing Mitrovic properly and will convert that into the same sort of style of play in the Premier League and we saw it in match day one against uh, the co-favorites right the the co-favorites to win the league Mitrovic picked up where he left off in the championship picked up where he left off with Serbia. Uh, and he is the reason Serbia qualified for the World Cup, by the way. They didn't qualify for the Euros. He gets hot. Not only do they qualify for the World Cup, they beat Portugal in their group. And they qualify automatically. So he's a striker in form. He's a player in form. He's got a team geared to his strengths. Team performance of the weekend for me, Fulham. And look out. Mitrovic, is, is, uh, he, he's a top 10 striker in the world right now, in my opinion. One of the matches that disappointed, uh, but I'm not surprised in many ways, was Everton against Chelsea. Uh, these are two teams that are, are, are not, they, they have problems. I, I think it, Everton in terms of injuries um, and confidence and lack of uh, depth. And then Chelsea with a, a squad that uh, on paper looks like it'd be wool beaters, but in reality it is a mess. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I guess you know I, I, people follow me on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, you've seen all I've uh, my commentary about Tuchel for the last six months. Uh, yesterday was nothing different. I mean, look, this is an Everton team that can barely field an eleven. Alex Awobi, who has never played central midfield in his life, and you would never think of as a central midfielder, is forced to play in central midfield. And he has a pretty good game because Chelsea is so tentative. They're so. Um, they get a goal and they sit on well even the goal they got right was on a penalty and was probably fortunate um yeah i i they're a mess i they have 34 by my count right now chris chelsea have 20 34 guys who you would consider premier league first teamers even though a bunch of those guys weren't given squad numbers uh, guys like ross barkley i mean they still have guys like hudson adoy zeek verner uh, guys not making the bench even so um, I don't know why they need all these players. Uh, they look a mess, and the more players you sign, the more disruptive it is for the dressing room. So I, you know, top to bottom, uh, maybe on the planet, they have the most talent. But they, they, there's, there's something wrong at that club. Uh, in terms of Everton, I think that they played as well as they could given the circumstances. And um, as I said, as I've teased earlier, Lampard's got a couple moves um, he's looking to make this week that um, I'm sure maybe by the time listeners listen to this they'll know about those so uh i think everton will get better in the next week or two but again you know signing guys in the and then dealing with injuries signing guys and then having all the injuries everton's had i'm not saying uh they're gonna they're gonna soar up the table but the everton you saw yesterday won't be the same everton you see in a couple weeks Leicester City again, Kartik, uh, having a lead and then ended up and ended up drawing a game. This is against Brentford on on Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> it's par for the course, it seems, with uh, Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, and they were so dominant in the first half, and uh, that's the match uh, I just watched actually right before we record. And um, 
Chris, I, I think that there's something, there's some sort of mental issue right now with Leicester. There are a lot of players who there are transfer rumors around. There are other players that are hitting kind of the end of the line um, in terms of their age. So I think you have these two things going on. You've got uh, veteran players like the Vardys and, 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 and the Albrightons and, and now obviously uh, and Johnny Evans and obviously Schmeichel has moved on. Uh, you have those guys um, kind of at the end of the line. You also have a bunch of players in their prime who are in their prime sellable place in Telemans, Madison, Barnes, and Fofana, and, and, and Ndidi. So I think it's, it's a really bad situation. And um, to see them go two goals up, uh, Dewsbury Hall had a nice goal. He's a player I'm very high on. Uh, but Brentford to fight back. Look, Brentford, they're going to they're gonna have a hard time this season. Uh, but this match reminded me how good Norgard is in that central midfield role, that number six role for them. If they get the Damsgaard transfer, uh, which is heavily, they're heavily linked with him, uh, coming from Sampdoria, if they get him over the line, I think uh, they might be okay. And Ivan Tony again, what a brilliant game from him. And that's the key for Brentford, right? They got it. They've got to fend off Newcastle and make sure he doesn't uh, want away in the next couple of weeks. Overall, I think with NBC Sports, going back to what they were, we were saying earlier, I think in many ways, I'm not expecting many changes. I'm not expecting anything much different. I'm, I'm expecting it to be much of the same, which is which is good. It's decent, um, and it's it's the type of analysis that will satisfy most people. Um, hardcore fans probably not so much, but still enough enough to make it decent. But one big difference from this past weekend was the lead commentator, and for the first time in several months, I, I didn't find myself uh, trying to find a remote to try to find a, a different commentator because of it, it was it was a joy and a breath of fresh air not to have it be uh, stats uh, driven or filled with stats so uh welcome aboard uh, peter drury on uh, nbc's broadcast and, and, I thought, and also chris um, mm-hmm. real quickly on drury it was so refreshing to have him talk about sort of the historical moments in English football from a personal perspective in a way that Arlo White, who I, I think grew up as kind of a multi-sports fan, uh, maybe uh, didn't feel right or didn't didn't articulate as well. So I should have I, I should have uh, jotted down the moments, but it happened multiple times. Uh, Drew recalled three matches this weekend, uh, one match each day, and it happened in each of the three matches. And I'm like, whoa, that's something as a lover of English football and the history and tradition of English football. I can really appreciate him sharing with the American audience. It happened in each of the broadcasts. So a huge upgrade for NBC Sports. I mean, as much as we're criticizing them on other things, you have to give them so much credit for bringing in arguably the best voice to call English football in the English language uh, on the planet. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think they they listened. I mean, I think they heard the criticism um, and they, I mean, understood in terms of Arlo really kind of ran his course, I think, for the most part. Um, this past weekend, I didn't see too many people uh, saying, like, hey, where's Arlo? Uh, I, I don't think he was missed, to be honest with you. And I, I think Peter, Peter Drury is a, a huge upgrade. But one example that I, I thought Peter did a great job, too, was on, um, I think, on Sunday. And it might have been the West Ham United um, Man City game. Yes, it was. It was that game. And uh, there was a brief pause in the game, I think, because of an injury. And uh, Peter Drury started asking uh, Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon about uh, crosses, whether uh, as defenders, if they preferred um, a kind of an in-swinger or, or an out-swinger in terms of actually on the on the attack, which one was pre- uh, preferable and kind of the strengths and weaknesses of, of both. And, and those are the types of things, too, that it's it's game specific. It's something that uh, is not condescending. It, it is something that Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso, two fantastic uh, defenders uh, from their time, could share their expertise and knowledge on that. So I, I thought that was well done. The um, Some of the other games, too, Kartik, uh, Bournemouth got a great start. Aston Villa. Um, I, I think these are two teams that are going to have probably a lot of hot and cold streaks throughout the season. And Bournemouth now face some really tough matches against some of these uh, big four clubs in the next few weeks. Uh, Aston Villa sh- still a work in progress. And I think a lot of it depends, too, on this transfer window. But 
Other than that match, I'm trying to think what else uh, we haven't covered oh, yet. I have to ask you about Kiefer Moore uh, actually, yeah. before you move on from that match. Uh, Welsh International, great game, leading the line for Bournemouth. And, and uh, uh, I have a lot of concerns about Aston Villa. We can get into that another time, uh, just in general, uh, their transfer policy and how the, te- the team is shaping up. But uh, a lot of them uh, confirmed on Saturday. But uh, I wanted, wanted your thoughts on Moore because I did not know that he would hit the ground running like this in the Premier League. It wasn't just the goal. He, he was fantastic in that match as a focal point. Yeah, I think in many ways, I mean, I mean, he is, to me, I mean, he's had experience playing in the Euros. I mean, Wales have been playing in some really difficult games in terms of World Cup qualifiers. And every time he comes on the pitch, he always comes through. I mean, he's the type of player that's uh, very committed, not scared of going in for a tackle, not scared of going in for a header, um, doesn't always score, but but is is a threat, and and I think he is a player that really deserves to be in the Premier League, and I, and I think in many ways, uh, I mean, previously at Cardiff in the Championship, um, he should have been in the Premier League, and, and I think uh, this will be a great season for him too. Hopefully, he'll get lo- lots of chances. I know, I know Bournemouth still are going through uh, a period where in this transfer window where they're planning on bringing a whole bunch of more players in. Um, so there's always that question mark about in terms of how much playing time he'll get. But nah, if, if I'm a defender and I see Keith, Keith the Moore coming up against me, <laughs> I'm worried. Um, in some of these other matches, Kartik, what about the Nottingham Forest-Newcastle match? And I saw the highlights. I saw some great goals by Newcastle. Uh, Callum Wilson, an incredible goal, probably goal of the weekend for me. But what was the match like itself? Yeah, Forest looked... Uh like they hadn't played together before. I mean, it was it was very, uh, uh, very, very one way. I think this match, uh, uh, Newcastle, fantastic, right? Uh, Joe Ellington, who uh, 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 Eddie Howe inherited as a number nine and has moved to be a number six, really bossed the match in midfield. Uh, Al Moron looked good. That surprised me. I mean, that's a player it looks like Howe has had an impact on this summer. Uh, he had a very, very good match. Uh, he's a guy that I had kind of... Uh, uh, laughed off <laughs> as someone who would stay in this new Newcastle uh, side. Um, yeah, so I was disappointed with Nottingham Forest. I think it's going to take some time uh, for, for this team to gel with all their new signings. Uh, but Newcastle, very impressive in picking up where they left off last season. And a team that I think is is really building smartly. I, I, I like uh, what they're doing. And, and, uh, and I have some deeper thoughts on Newcastle that I'm going to articulate during the course of the week uh, if you follow me on Twitter. But I uh, really like how Eddie Howe is shaping that team up uh, and, and building slowly and methodically, uh, unlike uh, the impatience we see from other, some other teams. And even like you know Chelsea buying, buying all these players when they have players in the same position already. I think much more logical what Newcastle's doing. Uh, and uh, I guess they've given Howe a long runway, right? They've, I think effectively told him, hey, you've got, you've got this job for a couple of years uh, as long as we see progression. And then last but not least, uh, Arsenal, who I thought looked fantastic once again. Uh, they were a great preseason. They looked wonderful against uh, Crystal Palace. Could have scored a couple more goals. Uh, but the part that I, I actually was most impressed by, other than Arsenal's performance, were the Arsenal fans. I mean, they were, you can tell that they're really excited about the squads, about this team, the way that, that they're playing. Uh, and at Selhurst Park, you saw the Arsenal fans going crazy, rather than some of the Arsenal fans of the past before, too, where kind of arms folded kind of looking disgruntled at just uh, another transfer window that goes by without signing any any key players this one was great and, and yeah I'm so looking forward to watching this Arsenal side this season yeah I think Arsenal has very few weaknesses now the question is did they have enough experience and did they have enough guys who can be match winners when things aren't going well for them to really contend uh, but I think if you look at their squad, their squad is all is all, is about as complete as as City and Liverpool, the two title favorites. It's just those guys aren't as experienced, they're not as proven, and they don't have the difference makers. They don't have the Salas or the De Bruynes or the Nunezes and the Hollands, right? They don't have the, that that level player. But they're they're the side where I can I can look at a one to eleven and say, yeah, I don't see a weakness in that team. That's not the case with Chelsea, Spurs, or uh, or Man United, the other three big six teams. So uh, I think Arsenal's right there. Arteta's built well. And, uh, and also on this match, I thought Palace was quite good to watch. Um, they're going to have a good season. They were missing Alissi in this match. Uh, Eze doesn't look back up to full speed yet, uh, but they'll get there. And, and, and they were a joy to watch after the first, what, 20 minutes. They didn't look good. But after that, they looked pretty, pretty solid. 
So we did watch some some other soccer too, other than the Premier League, uh, of course, this past weekend. Kartik, I'm just so frustrated with the Bundesliga. Uh, I love the Bundesliga. You love the Bundesliga. Everything it stands for. Um, but the the way that Bayern Munich just completely dominated uh, Eintracht Frankfurt at Eintracht Frankfurt is not a good look for the, for the league. And, and within the first 10 minutes, it was 2-0 to Bayern. The game was effectively over after after 10 minutes. By halftime, I think it was 5-0. And the final score was 6-1. And to me, it, it made me personally, it made me less interested in watching uh, the Dortmund game against uh, Bayer Leverkusen on Saturday on ABC because I'm like, what's the point? I mean... You know what I mean? Like, what was your take? I mean, do you feel the same way? My take was the same as yours, which was uh, you, you put it on Twitter, Chris, you, very, very appropriately. Why does, why does the Bundesliga keep scheduling Bayern in this first match? It's a buzzkill. At least if they, played the, if they played the first weekend on Sunday, we would have a couple of days without uh, this constant reminder of their dominance. So, uh, yeah, I, it was the same thing. I, I watched uh, pieces of, of the Gladbach-Hoffenheim uh, match. I, I want to go back and watch that whole match because uh, Hoffenheim were playing well before they had a guy sent off. But uh, other than that, uh, I didn't watch much Bundesliga this weekend because I, I kind of was turned off by that first match, honestly. Um, and, and that's and that's the thing too about the Bundesliga and about uh, Germany in general is that they're so, so stuck in tradition that they're they don't change and, and that's the thing I mean I mean Bayern Munich plays in uh, the first game of every year because whoever the winner uh, of the Bundesliga is plays that first game and Bayern Munich plays that game almost every single year it's, it's been the same way for years and years so the very first game sets the stage for you mean kind of enthusiasm and it's such a buzz killer it's such a downer when it's just you mean the team is blown away by Bayern Munich and to me I mean the one thing about the Premier League I would say too is that at least in terms of how they're marketed and the decisions that they make um, are much wiser and also more flexible. Now, to the detriment of the, the football supporters, the ones that actually have to live with the the TV uh, kickoff times and you mean games being moved to different times of the day or late at night or late late in the evening when there's not a lot of trains or, or bus buses available. But for the global viewer, for the you mean the people around the world watching these games, I mean Crystal Palace against Arsenal was a great way to start off the season. You look at the entire weekend of the Premier League; there weren't any blowouts. Yes, there were. I mean, probably the biggest blowout was uh, Manchester City's dominance against West Ham United. It was, I mean, after that first goal went in, it just seemed inevitable that City would go on uh, and dominate this match. But there weren't any blowouts. So to me, as a viewer, as a neutral, if you're watching the Premier League, you're probably a lot more entertained throughout the entire weekend versus the Bundesliga, where you're just like from the, the first game, for the first 10 minutes, you're like, oh, come on, really? This is going to be the, one of those seasons again? Yeah, I mean, I watched... Uh, and then Kartik, <laughs> I have to say, I, I'm so looking forward to 2023 and uh, the Apple deal with MLS because uh, I watched some MLS on Saturday night and one of the games I watched, it was so boring. It was awful. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if there was a whip around show, this would be so much better because I'd be able to watch action from, I don't know, eight different games happening at the same time. And I'd see the best moments in live real time rather than sticking with the one game that was boring played in uh, kind of immense, incredible heat uh, in the United States with just the players shirts, just dripping with sweat um, it doesn't make for good football, and I mean, I'm sure MLS Saturday night there might have been a good game happening, but I mean, when you watch one game, you kind of attach to it. So, if I move from that game, which game do I go to? Do I miss something in, in, in one of the other matches? So, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having the whip around show, and I, and I think for MLS, it'll be a much better uh, way to showcase the league. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kante, what about you? Yeah, Any, I agree. I anything agree else? With that. Yeah, I agree with that. I watched I watched a little bit of MLS this week, and it was uh, yeah. I, I, I you just don't know which match is going to be good, right? And 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 what's on the line at this time of year. So um, so it was okay. But uh, I agree, a whip around show would be a hit, and and I would watch that on Saturday nights. Yeah, 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 definitely, absolutely. So um, moving on to TV streaming news and uh, two big stories that came out this week, and you you can't take probably better equipped to uh, talk about these. Um, maybe let's start start with the the HBO Max one because uh, basically this week I, I was busy with a whole bunch of other stories happening, so I haven't been able to follow this one as closely. But I, I know you have, so you've got the details. Yeah, yeah. So HBO Max is going to be folded into Discovery Plus uh, in a merged uh, streaming platform. Now, I had thought that they would bundle them the way Disney Disney did, because obviously we've talked a lot on this show about the Discovery HBO, uh, excuse me, the Warner Media Discovery merger, which also was uh, part of the reason we saw CNN Plus uh, pop up for a month and then disappear. Right? The Discovery executives decided they were going to fold the CNN Plus content into HBO Max. Now, the HBO Max platform is being folded into Discovery Plus, uh, which uh, uh, will have an impact actually on, on, on soccer with uh, the U.S. rights going to HBO Max, the U.S. men's and women's national team rights, in addition to the fact that, as I, I remind our listeners often on this show, Chris, uh, Discovery has a history of showing soccer uh, uh, in Europe and uh, a long history of doing it. So I, I think the combined platform uh, is going to be a bit of a, a culture shock because they're two radically different concepts, right? HBO is kind of an arts and entertainment channel uh, with, with some sports and documentaries, sports documentaries, news documentaries, politics stuff. And Discovery uh, is largely nature, learning, you know, home and garden stuff, right, uh, on their Discovery Plus platform, but you're going to see a merge thing with, I guess, a potpourri of stuff. Um, not splitting it up the way Disney has with their stuff. Um, different model. But it'll be a merge platform, presumably with, I would guess, $14.99 a month or more. It might, it might be Netflix range uh, in terms of price. We'll yeah, that's, that's the challenge, though, Kartik, because, uh, I mean, I have HBO Max I don't think I have. No, I don't have Discovery Plus, but I have HBO Max, and I, I watch that maybe a few a few nights a week. A lot of theatrical movies, a lot of great shows on there. Um, and now merging it with the Discovery, I'm less interested in the Discovery content, and I'm probably not as willing to pay more for the combined effort because I'm only interested in HBO Max. But then they will be adding U.S. Women's National Team, U.S. Men's National Team, and hopefully U.S. Open Cup to that. So I will want to subscribe, but I don't want a big bloated uh, streaming service with a ton of stuff that I'm not going to watch. But again, I guess in a way, though, too, that's that's Peacock. <laughs> Peacock is this big bloated thing with tons of shows and movies and soccer and wrestling. And I just I, I just subscribe to the soccer just for the Premier League. And, that, and that's it. Um, and any thoughts on a new name? Have they mentioned anything about that, Kartik? Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know what the new name will be. There's there's 
it's supposedly going to have a different name. Is it going to be people have joked it's going to be HBO Discovery or Discovery HBO or or whatever? But it, it might have a completely uh, different name, uh, which uh, which is memorable, or it could be something that 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 makes us forget what it's associated with. Now, as obvious as I think Peacock association with NBC is right because NBC's had the Peacock as its logo since the 1950s. A lot of people ask well, who who owns Peacock. What's Peacock associated with? So there is a risk of, of, of messing with the brand a little too much. Now, the thing about streaming, Kartik, I, I mentioned uh, Peacock and, and the Premier League, and I mentioned uh, HBO Max and Discovery and the combined effort, which will have U.S. men's national team, even women and U.S. Open Cup, is oftentimes... You mean so if if the Premier League did move from Peacock and it went someplace else, I would probably cancel my Peacock sub- subscription and go to that new place. That's not going to happen for another six years uh, at a minimum. But the other story we want to talk about too is um, CBS and Amazon are the two front runners for the rights to the UEFA Champions League, um, and this is going to be a six-year deal potentially $300 million a year. It's going to cost uh, either CBS or, or Amazon. But say Amazon gets this, Kartik, what happens to Paramount Plus? I mean, is Paramount Plus as strong without the Champions League? Uh, probably not. I mean, I'm thinking that's their strongest soccer property, but they have other soccer pro- They have so much now. Um, I, I yeah, they'll probably still lose some subscribers, but I, I think they have so much now that a lot of the subscribers that they got initially because they had the Champions League before they had other men's soccer properties, right? They had NWSL, but actually they didn't have NWSL and Paramount Plus at the time. They had it on CBS and they had and Twitch had the, the the streaming rights. So I think it was the first property soccer property they actually had on uh, what was what what was it called then? CBS All Access. All Access. All Access. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think a lot of those people now would hang around for Serie A. They were that uh, the, the Argentine Brazilian League, Concacaf stuff, uh, and WSL. So uh, at WSL they have now. So it would hurt them, but I don't think it would hurt them as much as it helped them initially. If that makes sense, if if, if that if the listeners yeah. understand what I'm saying. Well, that's the thing, though, too. If I'm Serie A, I'm, I'm hoping that CBS uh, reduce the rights to this deal because, I mean. If Champions League does go to Amazon, which is quite possible, Amazon's got, I mean, shed loads of money uh, to, to actually, and, and they want to get into the Amazon, they want to get into the soccer space, and this is a perf- perfect acquisition if they get it, is that uh, with, with CBS Sports, I mean, so you, you'd be left with Serie A, Argentine League, Brazilian League, um, Women's Soccer, uh, the Women's Super League, but it's not as prestigious as the Champions League, so... So hopefully CBS uh, has a good shot at this, uh, but everyone has a price a price in their mind in terms of how much they're willing to spend. And uh, I mean, Viacom has loads of money too, um, but Amazon, I would imagine, would be the favorite here. But we should find out in the next. Actually, the bidding closes, I believe, a week from now. So in the coming weeks, we should find out whether or not CBS has renewed the rights uh, or if Amazon has gobbled them up and acquired them for, for six years. And th- those wouldn't be happening until, I think, 2024. Um, yeah, still... and, and the new format. And, and the new format may suit Amazon even better. Exactly. All right, let's move on to list the mailbag. A uh, bunch of uh, feedback here from our listeners. Uh, first up is Nick, and he wants to talk about uh, ESPN and the cross-promotion of different leagues. Nick says, I watched the Community Shield followed by the German Super Cup, both on ESPN+. The Community Shield ended around 30 minutes before the German Super Cup, and ESPN ran the post-game show directly against the start of the Super Cup without anything that I noticed directing viewers towards the German match. It's hard to understand why ESPN wouldn't do bumper programming leading into the start of the second game, and then a full post-game afterwards to wrap up both. Bayern was involved after all. It's not like it was two no-name teams. ESPN doesn't have the Premier League, so it's it's not a huge deal. But it's pretty clear that ESPN has a pecking order. 
Yeah, yeah. This uh, that was actually something I noticed too. Um, I was uh, I, I was focused on a, on a championship game at the same time, which was also on ESPN Plus, uh, which was also not being talked about in their kind of wraparound programming. So uh, I did notice that. And it, this is something clunky. Uh, maybe it's a subject we get into another week about Peacock also uh, changing streams in the middle of game in in, in, in between games, uh, not having a consistent stream, not knowing where the bumper, what stream the bumper program is going to. Show up on uh, yep. uh, in each day. So I, I think just in general, the streaming platforms. I don't know if it's they allocate a certain number amount of time. I don't know how it works. It's not like t- linear programming where it's. I don't know how the bandwidth is allocated. Maybe they have to change streams at some point. But uh, it would have made sense. Yeah, two, two things on that context. One is that uh, for me personally, so it, it probably depends on what device you're using. But for me personally, on Peacock this weekend, um, I started off with Fulham Liverpool, and and then once that game was over, I went into a different room, came back, and then it was uh, Spurs against uh, Southampton on on the same stream. So that was on a Roku, and I think the same thing happened too. I think on Sunday morning for the. Um, the, the Brighton Man United game, and then also the, the West Ham Man City game, same thing. And this was on uh, Amazon Fire. It was the same. Stick. It was the same stream. The same stream. Okay, so yeah. on Apple TV, I had to change. So, so basically, it went to the uh, walkout of the Man City West Ham match, and then basically the stream cut off, and I had to go find the other stream. Um, and then similarly on uh, Saturday, Fulham. Fulham Liverpool, same thing. A stream continued, and then I had to cut off and find. Well, I I, I uh, went initially to Goal Rush anyway, so I was going to switch streams anyway. But uh, yeah, it cut off right before the start of Southampton uh, Spurs. So so Nick's Nick's comments good because uh, there is a pecking order at, at ESPN, but it changes. I mean, we've noticed this too. I mean, you can't take you more than anyone in terms of ESPN FC, where there is a pecking order. Uh, sometimes last season it was La Liga. At sometimes a couple of seasons ago, it was the Bundesliga. Even previously, it would have been uh, Premier League. So, so depending on the priority, kind of within the ESPN, I think the pecking order changes. And and then one more thing though too is that uh, with Nick mentioning the, the lack of uh, promotion, uh, cross promotion. You know, once a game ends, hey, directs the viewers to go ahead and watch another game that's coming up. The other thing about that particular day when there was a Community Shield and then there was the German Super Cup a little bit later is that um, there was also an MLS game on, ABC, I think it was. So ESPN has so many properties, so many soccer properties, that if it did cross-promotion, you mean, you'd have, it'd feel like an, an infomercial, like probably five or ten minutes talking about all these other games happening. So... Um, yeah, I, I mean, ideally, you'd like to see the cross-promotion or at least let people know. But uh, if the game's big enough or important enough, they'll, they'll find it. Next up is uh, talking about USL. Chris says, when it comes to the, to the next USL TV deal, I think they will renew with ESPN with one major condition added to the contract, having games on over-the-air television via ABC. This is important, um, in my view, for the league to continue to grow because my by, by being on over-the-air television, it allows USL to attract more fans and make them aware that USL is a major player in the American soccer landscape. Lastly, when it comes to the number of USL games that, uh, that do air on ABC, I think six to eight games a season is a good number. With Univision being unhappy with MLS in regards to the next TV deal, my question to either of you is, do you see Telemundo taking advantage and getting the MLS rights? So, Kartik, before we go to that, I mean, <laughs> imagine uh, lower division soccer in, in the United States. What would happen if, uh, you know, I, mean, I don't know, Detroit City was on uh, over-the-air television via ABC? I guess there'd be a lot of angry MLS uh, uh, people who like the MLS business model or like to defend the MLS business model. Uh, because, uh, again, we have a, a situation going on in Orange County, California now uh, that has aroused the anger of people who just like to defend MLS's business model. I, I don't think we'll see uh, uh, USL games on over the air. But then again, I didn't think we would see... Uh, um, USL games so prominently on ESPN and ESPN2 and they're there uh, when I was at the NESL we got games on over the air in terms of uh, local markets uh, fairly frequently and usually had to buy time but still uh, it's possible uh, so yeah that, that would be interesting if that happened on, on the second question um, 
I don't think Univision is going to. They're mad, but I think they want League's Cup. So, um, right. yeah. I, I, I think that that's going to end up being the determining factor. Yeah, it's an opening for Telemundo. Although Telemundo seems more, they're very much in the NBC mode of big events, you know, big summer tournaments, or, or in this case, a winter tournament this year, and uh, and then Premier League. So um, maybe, but 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 probably not. Yeah, Telemundo. It's unfortunate because they're handicapped in a way by NBC Sports on the English language side. And a good example of that is this past weekend in the Premier League. So on an average Premier League weekend, you'd have maybe two or three games on uh, Universo and then usually one or two games on Telemundo. But because almost all the games were on Peacock, then uh, Telemundo and Universo don't show those games in Spanish language on television, on on linear television, Uh, because they want to try to get as many people to subscribe to Peacock, and they don't want people going to Telemundo uh, watching it for free or or going to uh, uh, Universo and watching it in Spanish uh, on cable. But but Apple does have, I do believe, the right to to, to make exceptions or sublicense it, correct, as part of their deal? Well, this is the Premier League, though. So, in, in oh, terms, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But in terms of Premier League, I'm just saying about them being handicapped. Now, as far as MLS goes and Telemundo, so yeah, no, uh, Apple has the Spanish language and English language rights to MLS. Uh, now they could have they could have a simulcast or they could have uh, games on Spanish language television that uh, Univision might show if they get the rights. I don't think Telemundo would get the rights. I don't, I don't, I don't think they'd be interested in those rights. Um, it's not as if they have a ton of channels available. Univision has, I mean, so many Univision, Tudorene, Unamas, Galavision, etc. So many channels that they can show games on. Um, Telemundo would not be interested, I believe. You mentioned League's Cup, Kartik. Um, if you didn't, that's fine. But did you catch any of the League's Cup games last week? Um. I didn't catch them. No, I caught the the, the, the the highlights the next day. I mean, the crowds were great, uh, but uh, I, I still didn't understand the the point of the showcase games and and uh, sort of the hype surrounding them when they were effectively friendlies. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly it. Uh, it it's a it's a hype machine. It's uh, a way to go ahead and play some games. Uh, generate some ticket revenue, but also start talking about uh, League's Cup and getting people excited about it. The interesting thing about this one, I, th- I think, to me, watching these games um, and seeing the fans and seeing, I mean, seventy thousand people in a stadium to watch the friendlies and uh, seeing how excited the uh, the TV crews were about this, um, is that this seems to be a win more so for MLS. And not so much for Liga MX. And what I mean by this is that this seems to be a way for MLS to really go after the Spanish language audience uh, by having them watch their favorite teams, whether it's Club America or Chivas or whoever it may be, and then hoping that those fans end up becoming MLS fans. And and we saw this from the viewing numbers. So the viewing numbers for these games last week, it was a double header. I think Univision had over a million viewers. And then the viewership on the English language side, which was on ESPN, I think one of the games was 240,000. And then the other game was like 145,000, roughly. That's just off, off the top of my head. So the viewing numbers on the English language side, there isn't much interest in these games. On the Spanish language side, through the roof. And I, so I think that's what it is. It's really... I don't see much of a win here for Liga MX other than generating lots more revenue. I don't see MLS, I mean, Liga MX uh, winning over a lot, a lot more new fans, but I do see MLS using this as a way to sell TV rights, generate a lot of revenue, uh, and give that a lot, a lot of that to Liga MX, and then hope that MLS gets a whole bunch of new fans uh, who may support Club America and then also support now a new team in MLS, whoever that may be. Moving along, the uh, next up is Anonymous. This talks about something we talked about in recent weeks, and Anonymous says, on the fragmentation of soccer viewers, where there's so many people watching uh, different leagues, different clubs uh, around uh, the United States, I don't think it's a bad thing. Soccer is a very fragmented sport, and that gives the fans a chance to pick what they love. Some, like myself, don't watch women's soccer, but others who love can promote it. That's what makes the sport so great. There isn't one particular soccer. There are many storylines. 
And that's very true. There's so many storylines. It's hard to, I mean, as a viewer, it's hard to watch everything. Now, if you're an NFL fan on a Sunday, you could probably go ahead and watch most of the games or NFL Red Zone and feel that you've seen all the major highlights. Um, with the you know the Premier League alone, I mean that's that's an undertaking to watch all those games, Kartik. But there's so many other leagues around the world, and there's only so much time. And and that's the thing that watching a lot of games this weekend, I'm like, I feel sorry for some of these other leagues that are playing at the same time. It, it's almost impossible for them to compete in the United States. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely true, and it's down to people's personal preferences. I mean, uh, I, I had another person this weekend tell me that uh, they, all the focus on the Premier League shows people don't know what they're talking about. The real cultured football fans, the people who know what they're what they're uh, uh, what, what they're talking about, they're watching Serie A starting next weekend. And I was like, it's up to people's personal preferences, and the market decides. And ultimately, you know, this is a free market thing. The free market has decided the Premier League is the most popular league among English language dominant fans in this country and among uh, fans globally, all fans, all languages. So uh, that's the reality of the situation. If you love Serie A, well, that's great. You know, I, I encourage you to watch Serie A. You love Liga, you love uh, uh, the Austrian Bundesliga, but there, there's a reason why there is an emphasis on the Premier League. But it's down to personal preferences. So we have, we, we have the ability to watch so, much, so many different things, and that's, that makes the sport wonderful. Yeah, one thing uh, that I find interesting too, Kartik, and, and you, re- you may remember this too, is about 10 years ago, there were a lot of uh, MLS journalists who would go out of the way to not watch the Premier League. So you'd see them tweeting on a Saturday or a Sunday. <laughs> remember that? And they'd be tweeting about, hey, I'm watching, I don't know, second division uh, German uh, soccer or whatever it may be. I think now they've given up. I think those same journalists are, are now, you can see them tweeting about the Premier League. I, I think even that, that they have given up too. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think in, in, in fairness, there's, there's, it's kind of gone both ways. I see more people uh, willing to respect or talk about uh, issues related to MLS uh, of people who, who didn't care about that league in the past. So yeah. uh, we're maturing, and even I think this women's Euros um, led to a maturity because there were a lot of women's soccer fans in this country who would only watch the U.S. women or NWSL who – uh, finally did watch the Euros and saw, you know, there, there's something to that. Uh, there's something to women's football uh, in, in, on the other side of the Atlantic. So just a few more uh, comments to go from our listeners. Uh, next up is Dave to talk about the MLS-Apple deal. Uh, Dave says, I agree MLS is taking big risks with Apple and $250 million per year seems far too low for the risk assumed. Strikes me as a much better deal for Apple than for Major League Soccer. The, the objections you claim Univision are raising were easily foreseeable. MLS should have discussed and negotiated these with Apple prior to signing and announcing the Apple deal. Mercator says, didn't the MLS open up the bidding to the rights? Didn't they look at all the bids and decide to take Apple? If any of these networks were going to pay big money, they didn't show it when they had the, had the opportunity. Uh, Univision paid MLS $15 million a year under the last uh, deal. It's small potatoes compared to what Apple will pay. I actually think it sounds like uh, Don Garber played his cards right, secured the big guaranteed money from Apple, and now can go ask Univision, uh, Fox, and ESPN for money for non-exclusive rights, knowing they need some domestic soccer and want to be seen as an MLS partner. If he was smart, MLS would do shorter TV deals so they can renew right after the 2026 World Cup, uh, which is not aligned with Apple's 10-year deal. Of course, Univision, Fox, and ESPN won't like this because they can't lowball the MLS on a long, long-term contract like the Pac-10 I mean, Pac or ACC. But at the end of the day, they will pay something to put MLS games on TV. Last but not least, uh, Matt has some uh, feedback. He says, hi, guys. I have a number of things I wanted to mention and have, uh, haven't have gotten around to uh, emailing the pod recently. Uh, USL's strategy for a better culture has been a huge win. I know USL doesn't have the MLS funding, but the league feels more organic. I 100%, 100% agree with you guys on a previous pod. USL also did a great job targeting Caribbean markets for players a very underrated market for scouting. 
Uh, second, uh, NBC's panel updates with Peter Drury and Danny Higginbotham, a wonderful addition. So you get arguably the best English commentator in the world, along with a top, top English analyst. I will say I think maybe NBC would have benefited from one or two more changes. But fans like familiarity, so I'm not too bummed and will likely see more in the future. Lastly, I want to give some thoughts on one team, one dream. This is Chelsea from Zone. I felt it was a really good documentary and a huge game changer uh, for the women's game perspective, for not just soccer, but for women's sports as a whole. It does give a similar vibe to the All or Nothing documentaries from Amazon as a heads up. But I think involving the women's game is a huge breakthrough for women's sports. It's all free on YouTube and it's about five hours long. I do think with the fallout of COVID, I did, I did miss some opportunities for, of how the documentary could have ended. But overall, I was really happy with how the series portrayed some very powerful messages. So, yeah, definitely a good recommendation there. I haven't seen that one. So, uh, one team, one dream. This is Chelsea from DAZN. All right, Kartik, before we head, head out, any, uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, it's just wonderful to ha- have the Premier League back, have the Bundesliga back. Uh, great uh, great TV weekend, right? ABC showing uh, that, that Bundesliga match. Uh, one, one quick thought, uh, we're going to have back to 60% of the Premier League matches uh, this week on NBC or USA. So uh, those people who were complaining to me privately saying, oh, they've gone all in on Peacock this season, it was a one-week thing. I, I, I promise some of those people it was because of golf. So uh, next week, uh, uh, six matches between USA and NBC. So uh, check out the, uh, the, the listings on World Soccer Talk, as you always do. Yeah, I, actually, I was okay with the Peacock because there was even halftime. There was some of the uh, on the gold rush halftime. They had uh, the Premier League production studio, some of that uh, content, which usually you don't get that. So uh, I don't know. For me, watching the games on Peacock this weekend felt like I was watching on television, like just another t- TV channel. Uh, I guess it helped with uh, so many games available there. All right, listeners, if you do have any questions, feedback uh, for us or, or anything you'd like to share, go ahead and email us. Uh, the email address is uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can reach us at Twitter, and that's at worldsoccertalk. Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And, of course, you can go to worldsoccertalk.com, the website, and post your comments in the podcast th- uh, thread there. So, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you have a great week, and we will be back throughout the week with some previews and then looking ahead to uh, another fun weekend of soccer from around the world. Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.